Back in the 70s, there was a popular song that really contains some profound truth. The song is entitled, Cats in the Cradle. Here are the words. My child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way, but there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away, and he was talking for I knew it. And as he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know I'm going to be like you. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you coming home, Dad? I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. I got a lot to do. He said, that's okay. And he walked away, but his smile never dimmed. It said, I'm going to be like him. Yeah, you know I'm going to be like him. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon. Little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you coming home, Dad? I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. Well, he came home from college just the other day. So much like a man, I just had to say, Son, I'm proud of you. Can you sit for a while? He shook his head and he said with a smile, What I'd really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them, please? When you coming home, son? I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. I've long since retired. My son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I could find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle, and the kids have the flu, but it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's been sure nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you coming home, son? I don't know when, but we'll get together then, Dad. You know we'll have a good time then. Who can describe the impact a father has on his children for good or for bad? In the text I want us to consider this morning, God describes spiritual leadership in terms of of spiritual fathering. So let's turn together to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. The more I study the Word of God, the more I am amazed at the volume of Scripture that is given over to the subject of spiritual leadership. God addresses that subject over and over and over again in His Word, but He does so from a lot of different angles. So at first glance, it may not be obvious just how often He addresses the subject or the topic. One of the reasons He speaks to the subject of spiritual leadership so often is because of its importance. There is no greater responsibility in the world. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Spiritual leaders watch out for the souls of those who are entrusted to their care. Spiritual leaders watch out for the lives of those who are entrusted to their care. There is no greater responsibility in the world than that. 
It is a greater responsibility than that of a king, a president, a surgeon, or a general. It is an immense responsibility. Do you realize that the first thing Jesus did when he came to this earth was to begin training spiritual leaders? In the book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, Robert Coleman has written these words, quote, men were his method. It all started by, call, by Jesus calling a few men to follow him. This revealed immediately the direction his evangelistic strategy would take. His concern was not with programs to reach the multitudes, but with men whom the multitudes would follow. Remarkable as it may seem, Jesus started to gather these men before he ever organized an evangelistic campaign or even preached a sermon in public. Men were to be his method of winning the world to God. The initial objective of Jesus' plan was to enlist men who could bear witness to his life and carry on his work after he returned to the Father, end quote. You see, the primary issue on our Lord's agenda when he came to this earth was to train spiritual leaders, to train men of God. Spiritual leaders are of critical importance, and that is why God addresses the issue so often in his word. Another reason God speaks to the issue of spiritual leadership so often is because of its difficulty. It's difficult to work with people and people's struggles in life. Sin decimates people. And then they come to their spiritual leaders to try to put things back together. That's a difficult task. In addition to that, it's difficult just to keep people satisfied with your leadership. You would not believe, or maybe you would if you work with the public, but you would not believe some of the things you have to put up with from people. If it weren't so sad, it would be humorous. I can remember several times in the last couple years, for example, having people complain about things that were exactly opposite. For example, within the same week, we received complaints that the youth ministry was doing too many activities and that the youth ministry was doing too few activities. Now, how do you resolve that one? We received complaints saying we have too much music and we have too little music. We receive complaints saying our worship style is too traditional and it's too contemporary. We receive complaints saying our church doesn't get people involved and then others say it's too pushy getting people involved. We receive complaints saying we aren't doing enough to reach Montana State University students and and then some say we're giving too much emphasis to the university. We receive complaints saying we give too much money to missions and then complaints that we don't give enough money to missions. Last week I had an interesting experience. I was at a memorial service at another church and beforehand as I was talking with people I had a man come up to me and he came up and he gave me a big hug and he said, Pastor Brian, I need to apologize to you. He said, I am so sorry about how critical I was when I was there at Grace Bible Church years ago. And he was. I mean, I can remember he criticized me all the time, criticized our church, complained about things. And so when he finally decided to leave the church, I said, don't let the door hit you on the way out. No, I didn't really say that. But (laughs) 
Um, anyway, he, he did say to me, he said, you know, I, I'm now an elder in my own home church, and I see what it's like to be in spiritual leadership. We had a great conversation, and I appreciated his graciousness and his thoughts. But the fact is, spiritual leadership is a taxing responsibility. So God speaks to the subject over and over again in his word. Look with me here at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Here's another example where we have this theme of spiritual leadership and fathers sort of combined together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 7, Paul says as he's rehearsing his ministry among those at Thessalonica, he says, but we were gentle among you. Just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children, so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses in God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his children that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. What a fascinating insightful passage of Scripture. Notice how it flows or breaks down. In verses 7 through 9, you maybe didn't notice this just from reading it initially, but in verses 7 through 9, Paul presents a picture of spiritual mothering as he describes his ministry among the Thessalonians. And then he turns the coin over in verses 10 through 12, and he presents a picture of spiritual fathering. So both sides, mothering and fathering. By the way, this whole section is polemic in tone. In other words, it is a defense from Paul of the leadership style he espoused. Paul was forced to defend himself because there were detractors who were questioning his integrity and questioning his sincerity and his character. So beginning in verse 1 of this chapter, Paul, in a sense, sets forth his defense. That's why it is such a helpful passage of Scripture because in verses 1 through 6, which we, which we won't be looking at today, we have an inside x-ray view of Paul's leadership. But then in verses 7 through 12, we have an outside pictorial view of Paul's leadership, and he describes it as spiritual mothering and spiritual fathering. By the way, that is what a spiritual leader must be. That balance is needed to be effective in spiritual leadership. And I believe that God has made it possible for a man to function in both ways to be effective in spiritual leadership. Let me illustrate it by giving all of us a basic reminder of what we all learned in biology. X is the female chromosome. A woman is made up of two X chromosomes. Y is the male chromosome. A man is made up of an X and a Y chromosome. And that combination is what is necessary for spiritual leadership. 
Just as Paul describes here in verses 7 through 12. Paul was so effective in ministry because he maintained that balance. As an X, he was gentle and affectionate. As a Y, he was strong and authoritative and he had convictions. So in verses 7 through 9, Paul describes his leadership in terms of spiritual mothering. And then in verses 10 through 12, Paul describes his leadership in terms of spiritual fathering. And it's a great insight as to what God wants men to be as men, as fathers, as spiritual leaders, whatever the case may be. So to really grasp this section, and we're going to come back to it, but first we need to answer the question, what is it that, that makes a man a man? If we're talking about being a man of God, as Paul presents it here in 1 Thessalonians 2, as just a man or as a father or as a spiritual leader, what is it that makes a man a man? To answer that question, go back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Back to the left to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And look at verse 13. And I'm going to read it literally. Not not all of your translations are going to render it this way, and I will explain why. But verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 16 literally reads this way. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Now, the phrase that interests us for this message is that third phrase, act like men. It raises the question, how do men act? Well, in our society, they act any way they want. Today, that command is almost meaningless. In fact, it's interesting to note, as I alluded to a moment ago, that in some of the translations, some of our English translations, the phrase act like men doesn't even occur there. It has been rephrased because translators understand that to say act like men can be confusing to our society. So again, I ask, how do men act? If the Holy Spirit through Paul says act like men, what does this mean? How do men act? Sadly, some men are couch potatoes. That's obviously not what Paul has in mind when he says act like men. Some, sadly, are wimps, which is a combination of the old English word for an effeminate man, wet, and the word limp combined, and we come up with our English word wimp. Some men put on women's clothes and jewelry. So what does this mean, act like men? Well, we're given a clue by the Holy Spirit in the phrase that follows, because right after that phrase, there in verse 13, we have this phrase, be strong. Act like men, and you could almost say, and be strong. That's what it means to be a man. In fact, instead of the translation, act like men, some, ver- some versions translate it, be brave. That's how men act or should act, with courage. And strength. What word captures that? Well, it's probably different or diverse for different people, but one suggestion is this the word that summarizes those two concepts is our English word fortitude. That's a mark of true manliness, fortitude. It's the character trait of bravery, courage, strength, fortitude, conviction, adventure. That's what a true man seeks. Now contrast that with the woman. 
You've probably heard of this kind of scenario. The young husband comes home one day and says to his new bride, Honey, God has called us to the middle of nowhere. We will be 100 miles from civilization. We'll have to walk through a dangerous jungle. We're going to reach a tribe that no one has ever reached. Are you excited? And she says, well, what kind of house are we going to live in? And who will care for the children when they get sick and they need a doctor? She's thinking security, protection, affection, love. He's thinking challenge, adventure, risk. And if he didn't have the X, he would totally blow her away. So he gets the thing in balance and says, I understand. Let's, let's talk it through. Let's pray it through. Someone has said it this way, quote, the most fundamental need of women is security because their most fundamental instinct is to provide security, end quote. Women, in general, desire to be secure. That's why it's so difficult for a woman to be in a relationship where she is insecure. That violates everything about womanhood. She wants security because she is made by God to provide it, and that's what makes moms moms. And many men fail to realize that. Women in general seek security. Men in general seek accomplishment. So when God says here in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, act like men, he is saying be brave and courageous. But then in verse 14, he pulls the X along. He says, let all that you do be done with love. And that's the balance. And that's the balance that Paul presents in 1 Thessalonians 2 when he talks about being a man of God, a godly father, or a godly spiritual leader. But again, before we look at that passage, we need to answer another question. First question, well, how do men act if we read act like men? The second question is, how can a man have this kind of character? If this is how God wants us to be as men, how can a man have this kind of character? Let me illustrate this from the Old Testament by having us turn to passages that use this same phrase, interestingly, in the Septuagint translation of the Old Testament. That's the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Go all the way back with me to Deuteronomy 31. Deuteronomy 31. This is Moses speaking to Israel. Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. Here's the charge. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of good courage. For you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them. And you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. That is Moses as a man charging Joshua as a man of God to be this way. Skip down to verse 23 of the same chapter. Verse 23, Then he inaugurated Joshua the son of Nun and said, Be strong and of good courage, for you shall bring the children of Israel into the land of which I swore to them and... I will be with you. Then turn over to 1 Kings. Keep turning to the right. 1 Kings chapter 2. Joshua judges Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 Kings chapter 2. 
verse 1 says, Now the days of David drew near that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore. Look at this. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in His ways, to keep His statutes, His commandments, His judgments, and His testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. Then turn over from here to another example, to First Chronicles. So pass First and Second Kings to First Chronicles. And these passages are contributing to our understanding of the question, or the answer to the question, how can a man have this kind of character? First Chronicles chapter 22. I'm sure you're picking up a theme already from the verses we've looked at. Chapter 22, verse 11. Now, my son... May the Lord be with you, and may you prosper and build the house of the Lord your God as he has said to you. Only may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding and give you charge concerning Israel that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper if you take care to fulfill the statutes and judgments with which the Lord charged Moses concerning Israel. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Now, you hear the same themes coming through in all of those passages. And gentlemen, I would submit to you that if we as men want to know what a woman longs for in a relationship, it is this. It is the security that comes from a man who is characterized by courage, conviction, bravery, fortitude, and balanced by love. And men, that is the kind of man we should long to be as men, as dads, spiritual leaders. That is the kind of man we should influence others to be. We ought to seek to build into the lives of other men so that they are strong in the faith, strong in the Word of God, strong in the things of God, strong in conviction, strong in wisdom, strong in courage, strong in love. That is our goal as men. Look at the next book, 2 Chronicles chapter 32. 2 Chronicles 32, verse 7. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor dismayed before the king of Assyria, nor before all the multitude that is with him. For there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. That's maleness. And it transfers right over into the spiritual dimension. Do you remember the days when America, when our country, looked to and considered men heroes because they were strong and courageous? Now, in large measure, our country looks down on men who have the courage of their convictions and it elevates the compromisers. I remember doing a paper in college for my history class. I did a paper on a man, a particular man in American history who was uncompromising and courageous. And I said in my paper when I wrote it that the reason I chose to write my paper, my term paper on this man was because of his uncompromising character. 
When I got the paper back, the professor had written a note on it that said, uncompromising character is a hindrance in life. That's the way much of the world thinks, but not God. God calls on men to be strong and courageous. So again, how can a man be like that? Well, let's specifically answer the question by turning back to the left to Joshua chapter 1. Because in the opening chapter of Joshua, Moses charges Joshua with his responsibilities as a man, as a leader. Verse 1 tells us, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you as I said to Moses." So the mantle is passed to Joshua. The baton of leadership is passed to Joshua. And notice down in verse 6. Verse 6, Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So again I ask, what gives a man this kind of courage as a man, as a father, as a spiritual leader? Two things. Number one, confidence in the presence of God. The end of verse 5, God says to Joshua, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Confidence in the presence of God gives courage and strength. And number two, confidence in the Word of God. Verse 6 says, coming right off that promise at the end of verse 5, be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. In other words, God says, this is my word. I've made my promise. You can count on it. You can have confidence. So confidence in the Word of God gives courage and strength. Whenever I come to teach what I know will be a controversial passage of Scripture as we're working our way through a book of Scripture, I find courage and strength in the fact that it's God's Word and not mine I am proclaiming. I will often say to myself out loud, Brian, remember, you didn't write this. You're just presenting what God has written. That gives me boldness to proclaim the Word of God and just let the chips fall where they may. Confidence in the presence of God gives courage and strength, and confidence in the Word of God gives courage and strength. And men, if we are going to influence men around us to be strong and courageous, then we are going to have to model the standard. That's true for any man who desires to be a man of God. That's true for a father. That's true for a spiritual leader. We set the standard by the way we live, and we teach that standard in precept. That's exactly the way Paul carried out his life 
and ministry. And he summarizes it in amazing fashion in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So with all this as background, let's go back to briefly consider Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul spent a few weeks with the Thessalonians. We don't know exactly how long. It wasn't very long. But after he left, some people came in and began to question his leadership, his integrity, his character. And so, as I said, he writes this second chapter as sort of a polemic. But in doing so, he gives us incredible insight into how he viewed spiritual leadership and how he viewed being a man of God. And so he says in verse 10, You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. Men, that is a father's responsibility right there. It's the responsibility of the father to set the standard of integrity in the family. You can't say, we can't say to our kids, do as I say, but don't do as I do. That doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. It is our responsibility to set the standard of integrity in the family. That's a father's responsibility. It's a spiritual leader's responsibility. The spiritual leader is to be an example of godliness and integrity and conviction. Father, fathering is all about modeling or example, and so is spiritual leadership. That's why when Peter wrote to the elders of the church uh, to whom he was writing in 1 Peter 5, one of the things he said to the elders is, be examples to the flock. That's where it starts. That's where it begins. But it's not just modeling. It's also teaching. So after verse 10, Paul says, verse 11, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. So we see that the father not only sets the pattern of virtue in the family by example, but he also teaches by precept. Paul uses three words here in this verse to describe what this entails. The first word, translated exhorting here in my translation, or exhorted, means to instruct toward a specific goal or to instruct toward a pattern of conduct. The word that is translated comforted, the second word that he uses, or encouraged, means that you motivate toward that goal. So in a sense, you could say Paul moves from instruction to motivation. And as fathers, we're to do both. As spiritual leaders, we are to do both. Then the third word is charge, as, we, as you know how we charged or implored. That's a, that's a pretty strong Greek word that carries with it the idea of warning. Warning. Kind of like what Paul said in Galatians 6, 7. Do, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. What a man sows, he reaps. That's a warning. He says, listen, you sow the wrong stuff in life, you're going to reap the consequences. That's a part of fathering. That's a part of spiritual leadership. So what we see here in this verse is that a father is to instruct toward the goal, m- try to motivate to that end, and warn of the consequences. In the same way, the spiritual leader is to instruct toward the goal, motivate to that end, and warn of the consequences. And of course, that's where discipline comes in within the family and within the family of God in the church. Any father 
who is worth a grain of salt knows that it is our responsibility to, to try to come alongside our children and pattern godliness and integrity. And then we have to try to encourage them to be faithful when it gets tough. And then we have to tell them that if they violate the standard, that there will be consequences. That's just the way God has made it. Don't be deceived. What you sow, you reap. That's what fathering is all about. That's what spiritual leadership is all about. And that's why Paul draws that analogy or that comparison in verse 12, or here in verse 11, he says, as a father does his own children. He's talking about his ministry and how he conducted his spiritual leadership, but he parallels it with fathering. And then he says in verse 12, here's the goal, here's what you hope for, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Doesn't that sound like a speech of a father? Just by way of observation, men are normally more goal or product-oriented in parenting, and women are normally more process-oriented in parenting. That's the balance. Here in verse 12, Paul is exhorting them toward the goal. He says, I want you to walk worthy. It's the same exhortation Paul gives in Ephesians 4.1 when he says, I exhort you to have a walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Paul is basically saying the word worthy there is a weight word. It's a word that was used to describe weighing things out. So what he's basically saying is this. Put your calling on one side of the scale. You remember those ancient scales that had a, a balance, you know, uh, there were balanced scales, a basket on both sides. He says put your calling on one side, your life on the other side, and make sure they balance. Make sure they match. We might paraphrase this. In light of all that's been done for you, you ought to live accordingly. In light of whose son you are, you ought to live accordingly. Doesn't that sound like something a father would say? I know I heard that one. Not in any kind of threatening or demeaning way, but just in an encouraging way from my father, from my dad. Son, we've done the best we could in, in trying to raise you. Now you, you need to live accordingly. You need to live your life responsibly. That's the exhortation of a father. That's the exhortation of a spiritual leader. So it's both modeling and instructing, warning. All of that's involved. It's not enough just to be compassionate, tender, gentle, and caring. That has to be there. But there also has to be an uncompromising boldness, conviction, and courage in life and in exhortation. The father and the spiritual leader must have both. You could say it this way. There must be a concern for the person and the product. There must be a concern for kindness, but a concern for caution. There must be a concern for affection and a concern for authority. The father and the spiritual leader must cherish and he must challenge. He must embrace and he must exhort. That's God's description of spiritual leadership. It's God's description of being a man of God. It's God's description of fatherhood. So, this is, this is what God has called us as men to be. Whether you're a father or not, whether you're a spiritual leader or not, this is what God has called us as men to be. As men, and then as fathers, and as spiritual leaders, whatever category 
you happen to be in. Now, to the men here today, I would say this. If you're a man and you've heard this message, or if you're a father or a spiritual leader, then you're probably thinking the same thing I am right now. And that is, who is sufficient to be like this? I'm certainly not. So what should we do? If this is the standard to which God has called us as men, as fathers, as spiritual leaders, and we see the standard and we say, whoa, this is beyond my pay grade. This is way more than I can pull off. What do we do? Well, let me give some very sort of bullet point applications in closing. Number one, realize your inadequacy. That's a good thing. That drives us to a humble dependence on God in prayer. I can't imagine that any man sitting here this morning would say, but in case there is, I can't imagine someone saying, oh, I'm all of that. I'm everything that you just read about this morning. No. No, the starting point is that we realize our inadequacy. Like Paul said when he wrote 2 Corinthians, when he said, who is sufficient for these things? Who, who, can, who can be this, all of this? So the starting point for us is to realize our inadequacy. It it creates a dependence upon God. It drives us to God in prayer. It drives us to our knees, which is where we need to be as men. So that's number one. Realize your inadequacy. Number two, be diligent in studying the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3.17 says, The Word of God is sufficient. It is able to make the man of God all that God wants him to be. The Word of God has the ability to make us this kind of man, to, to make us this kind of father, this kind of spiritual leader. So as men, we need to be diligent in studying the Word of God. It has that power, that capability. So, realize your inadequacy. Number two, be diligent in studying the Word of God. Here's number three. Accept difficulty, suffering, trouble, adversity as part of God's training process to make us what God wants us to be. You see, it's probably true that there are, there are just some things in life that we will only get or learn through difficulty, through suffering, through hardship, through trouble. So as men, our attitude should be to accept difficulty, suffering, hardship, trouble as part of God's training process to make us what God wants us to be. Instead of resisting those things, we do what James says, or seek to do what James says. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that what is being produced in you can only be produced through that trial. So realize your inadequacy. Be diligent in studying the Word of God. Accept difficulty, suffering, and trouble as a part of God's refining. And then here's number four. Give your all to being the spiritual leader God has called you to be. Give your all to being the man that God has called you to be. Give your all to being the father, whatever category you're in. Give your all to being the man that God has called you to be. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul said, he said, I discipline my body. And he went on to say that he ran to win, he fought to win, he disciplined himself to be all that God had called him to be. 
So give your all to being that. Don't use number one, application number one, as an excuse. Well, I can't do this, so I'll just depend on God, and I'll just depend on Him, and, I don't, and that just takes all responsibility off me. No, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Give your all. As Dr. George Sweeting, former president of Moody Bible Institute, used to say to us students, when it comes to the Christian life, you pray as if it all depends on God, and you work as if it all depends on you. That's the biblical balance. So we pray as if it all depends on God, and we give our all to being the men that God has called us to be. As we close this morning, I would ask you to pray this for me, as well as for all who are in spiritual leadership here in our church, for all dads, for all men. Let's pray to that end. Please bow with me. As you bow your head in closing this morning, here at the end of our time in the Word and at the end of our service, reflecting on this theme of fatherhood, remembering that Scripture calls God our Father, but that being our Father is only true for those who know and love Jesus Christ. So what I I would ask you in closing this morning, is God your Father? Please understand, He's not your Father just because He's your Creator. Is God your Father? That is, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you responded to the Gospel? The Gospel offer of salvation and forgiveness so that you can really and truly call God your Father? If you have never done that, if you need to do that, I urge you this very moment, this day, this morning, to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Call out to Him. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And come to know God as your Father. And again, I would say to those of us here this morning who are men, we've seen what God calls us to be as men We've seen how the standard is beyond our own human inadequacy. But that's a good thing. It reminds us that we're dependent on God. We call out to Him in prayer. We determine to be diligent in studying His Word. We accept whatever He brings into our lives by way of difficulty, suffering, trouble, as a part of His training. And then by His grace, we give our all to being the man He's called us to be. As men as fathers, as spiritual leaders. Father, thank you for our time in the Word this morning, for the challenge, for the encouragement, uh, for the exhortation, for all that you have accomplished in our hearts and minds as we've looked at your Word. And again, we want to pray as we've already prayed, especially for anyone here this morning who cannot really call you Father, who needs to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. May your spirit draw that man or woman right now, this very moment, to turn to Jesus Christ. And Father, for those of us who have had that work of grace accomplished in our hearts and lives to be drawn to the Lord Jesus, we see this morning what your word has to say about us as men, as us as fathers, as spiritual leaders, So I pray for all of us men here in this church. I pray that we would be this kind of man. 
that we would be men of God, and if we are fathers, that we would seek to be the kind of father that is described in this passage here in 1 Thessalonians 2, a father who sets the example and encourages and comforts and charges. And Father, for those here in our assembly who are spiritual leaders, may we see our responsibility and the standard to which you've called us and also give our all to being the spiritual leader you've called us to be. Thank you for your instruction. Thank you even more for your enablement. Thank you for being our Father. We love you as we pray these things together in Jesus' name. Amen.